Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm K. Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That question led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith, the history of, of Protestantism, the history of the Bible, the biblical canon, the Reformation, the, the Catholic Church, what it was, where it came from, what it was doing, what it believed. Those things all factored in. It wasn't until I began to read from actual Catholic theologians, but the actual Catholic Church actually believed that I began to, well, <laughs> realize that what I thought I knew about the Catholic faith, and really the historic Christian faith, was based in large part on misinformation, and more often than not, on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap. The gap between what do you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week I'm joined by Daniel and Stephen, the Catholic brothers, for an absolutely fantastic conversation. This is one I think friends for the ages. For the record books, I don't know, stop the presses, put down whatever you're doing right now and listen to this episode. It's absolutely fantastic. I love having two guests on like this to kind of share their mutual conversion stories. I've had it on the past, my friend Keith Nestor and his friend Devin. I've had Dr. John Bergsma and Dr. Michael Dauphine in the past talking about their journeys. This one is so unique in that here are two brothers who really left the Catholic faith uh, together, uh, spurred on by one another, and then returned to the Catholic faith, again spurred on by one another, and their deep love for Christ, his church, and, and seeking out the truth. This conversion journey has this and so much more more, deep dives into the early church, the history of kind of Christianity, Anglicanism, the Reformation, evangelical Christianity, that relational aspect, uh, charismatic aspect of evangelical Protestantism, all kinds of things are, are unpacked in this journey, and Dan and Steve are fantastic, uh, amazing storytellers. It's a great story. I just get out of the way and listen for most of this episode, guys, and I think you'll love that. I loved it, and I hope you do too. This conversation and others are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our one-time sponsors and donors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. Guys, if you want to help support this show, underpin the work that we're doing here, those links are in the show notes for how you can do that, and please do prayerfully consider supporting this show to keep it going and growing week after week. And thank you from the bottom of my heart to those who are already supporting this show. Thanks, guys. That's incredible. <laughs> God bless. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Stephen and Dan, the Catholic brothers, on their uh, coming, uh, leaving the Catholic faith, and coming back again. What drew them out? What drew them back in? It's an amazing story, guys. Please listen and enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening. If you are listening on podcast, thank you. Please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify and do follow the show wherever you find it. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. Please subscribe to this channel. Hit the bell. Do all those cool, fun things. Leave some uh, stuff in the comments. Hit the thumbs up button. 
all those fun things. And to uh, YouTube viewers, sorry for the hat this week. I'm having a really bad hair day, and this is the only <laughs> choice left. I, I feel it's very, you know, I know there are guys who wear hats on YouTube. I just feel like it's a little bit to the front. Like, it's, it's a little bit too uh, informal. So sorry in advance, YouTube You're the audience. YouTube hat, hat guy now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I should have went, went with the hat. My hair's a little off today, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, guys, we're going to have an amazing episode this week. I've been looking forward to this for a long time and bugging the heck out of these guys to get them on the show. So I, they finally caved. I, I am joined by uh, Daniel and Stephen. They are two brothers who are raised as Catholics but left the church in their teens and after 15 years of various forms of Protestantism and a decade of early Christian studies in academia, these two brothers are now reverts to the Catholic faith and use their podcast, The Catholic Brothers, to make the Bible, the early church, Church history and theology entertaining, that is true, educational, also true, and accessible for a general audience. Guys, welcome to the show. I am very excited to have you guys here today to tell kind of your your reversion story. So welcome uh, and hello. Hello, Daniel. I'll, I'll say hi to you first. I think you're the older. Okay. Why is that yeah, true? Yeah, I, I am. This, so this is Daniel. This is my voice. This is how I sound. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. It's great to be on here. I am the older and wiser uh, brother of the Catholic brothers. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Stephen, with much more hair, welcome to the show as well. Yeah, of late. Uh, thank you. No, it, this is great. It, it's really an honor to be on here. And for the record, it, uh, it wasn't that you had to, to force us into it. It's just literally uh, we're, we're busy, but we're really, really happy to be on here. Oh. I am the younger and cuter brother. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I, you know what? <laughs> it's hard enough to coordinate one schedule with young families and things going yeah. on. Never mind two schedules. Mm -hmm. uh, well, three of yeah. three of us. But so thanks, guys, for making the time uh, for for the show for our listeners. It, yours, I'm sure, is going to be an awesome story to tell. Both of you. For one thing, there's two of you, two brothers, to kind of bounce ideas off of. And I'm sure your journey is an interesting one just in that alone. You know, I know a few families who have become Catholic kind of brothers, uh, several siblings in a row, who, uh, those are the, the juiciest stories. I mean, there's, there's, there's back and forth, there's arguing, there's debates, there's, uh, I don't know what you guys, but there's, there's things being thrown, there's, you know, it's family, it's, it's family, yeah. so oh, yeah. it's yeah. kind of the gloves are off, right? And there's kind of cool things that can, can come out in those discussions. And I love when there's two people on a journey like this. I had Dr. John Bergsma and Dr. Michael Dauphin on the show once to tell kind of their combined journey. Uh, Michael was Catholic. Kind of his witness to, to Dr. Bergsma drew him to the faith. And, and oh. those guys had an awesome story to tell, the two of them. And it's been a while since I've had a, a twofer, as we call it in Canada, <laughs> uh, on the show. So, guys, I, I want to know... And this is why I know what ha what happened. You were raised Catholic. You you left the faith. You you had this. You said before, uh, Stephen, this marathon journey back into the Catholic faith. I know from listening to your podcast uh, that you guys are are steeped in church history. You guys know your stuff really well. Your perspective on the early church is so refreshing because it's just it's really rich in that historical approach. So you know your stuff. <laughs> So, you know, you're not just too, too, you know, Joe. I'm glad it comes off that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're good pretenders, huh? Yeah, good pretenders, at least. So, so <laughs> as it appears, you're not just two guys who kind of stumbled back into the faith or right? something. You guys intentionally, this is a serious journey. Yeah. So I want to get a bit out of the way and let you guys unpack this, this journey. Maybe kind of begin with your upbringing a bit and, and why you left the faith to begin with, where you went, why you went there, mm -hmm. and then we can go back to how you kind of came back. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Yeah, there's another Catholic brother too in this story, but he's he's not part of the show. So um, he's the, really the ugly. So he, <laughs> <laughs> we call him Quasi. <laughs> um, but but the, I bring that up because the, the irony is that um, uh, he he our older brother was the first to to leave the faith, yeah. and then then and then Stephen and then myself. And then when we reverted back to the faith, it was the other way. Yeah. I came back into the church first, and then Stephen was the middle, and then Tim was uh, the, the the last. So it was, it was like a reverse mode um, kind of irony there. Um, but Steve, you know, Stephen was kind of the um, who who really uh, influenced me actually, and um, and kind of brought me along out of the church uh, initially. Um, so thank you, Stephen, for that. Way to go. Um, <laughs> Hey, you wouldn't be on the cordial Catholic today if it wasn't for me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, <much>. yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, no, but you know, yeah. So we 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 grew up um, in your normal Catholic family, right? We 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 never went, um, we never missed church. We, we were always there on Sundays. Um, grew up grew up as altar servers. You know, the kind of the whole bit, the whole story was there. Um, but I, but I, I suppose um, personally, we we never had this. Uh, connection with the person of Jesus himself. <clears throat> Jesus kind of still felt removed, uh, I guess, um, in, in our experience of Catholicism growing up, um, you know, partly, partly obviously our, our fault, uh, but partly perhaps the church's fault and, you know, family members, whatever it may be. Um, that, that, that experience wasn't quite there to begin with. Yeah. I would say, I would say our, um, our beginning, um, so we started in a, in a traditional uh, kind of Polish Catholic context, and this is under the the papacy of Pope John Paul II. So it's like popes <laughs> on the wall in all of our families' homes, you know. Um, and and uh, no, I mean we we had um, I had emotional experiences, and I'm sure you know Dan did too. And we were children. We would play crucifixion when we were kids. Like I literally have a picture like over there, you know, of us playing crucifixion. And we would we were very involved with like you know Holy Week and Lent, and I mean everything. You know, we um, we did love the beauty of our faith, which is why I was so horribly offended when Tim, our older brother, uh, stepped out of the church originally. I was extremely like disgusted by the whole thing. You know. Um, so there was a there was a love there for our faith. There was kind of a pride behind it, like kind of a Polish Catholic. It was family. certainly yeah. It was a, certainly a pride yeah pride for the yeah. faith yeah yeah. And and I wouldn't say that we didn't have some kind of a devotion to Christ, but I would say if if we're talking about let's say in Protestant terms, kind of like did you really have that born again no. experience yeah. of of Christ? No. Um, so there, you know, we we would we would watch Jesus of Nazareth every year, and that would always be like this. I don't know. Have you ever seen it? I mean, people need to watch it. But um, but that that was just part of the experience growing up. It, it was Jesus was very much in the home. Um, and when I got into middle school, and my brother Tim, um, he started dating a, a girl who's a, a kind of a Bible church um, evangelicalish kind of uh, background. And, you know, through debate, study, Bible, all that stuff, you, you stop me if you've heard the story, right? He, um, he had a born again experience of, of Christ um, that, that felt like it was leading him out of the Catholic church at the time. So he went. And so uh, as I was, gosh, I was middle school, but I, um, I, I was so hurt by the whole thing. And I remember just being like, this is totally going to just divide our family. Like it's, it's breaking our family apart, you know? Um, 
So I, uh, I originally took up my Bible so that I could like argue with him. (laughs) Um, and I started in, in the most logical place. I started in the book of revelation. Um, (laughs) yeah, you really want to argue against somebody, you go to revelation. Um, and then after that was, uh, funny enough with Sirach, but so I just started plugging away, right. Going at the Bible. But, um, I started to listen to him as well. At the same time, we had nice debates, but we also had um, really good, deep discussions about God life, you know, cause you're a teen, you know, you're, you're getting into your teenagers, you're coming up on high school. So you're starting to think about all the things of life. And so we would have good, good discussions. And, um, but I was starting progressively also to be like, what is with this Mary thing though? Right. Like, why are we worshiping Mary? Like, you know, um, so Mary was probably where I started. That's sort of the seed that was planted, Fatima, the whole thing. Like that was when I really started to, to become very anti Mary. <laughs> and then slowly that led me to be more and more and more, uh, questioning like, well, why are we praying to saints? Like, why, like, what do you mean? That's it. That's his actual body and blood, Like, you know? So, yeah, but it was also, I would say it was also, uh, almost the, the lingo of evangelicalism, um, was new to me and I, and I was attracted to it. Um, that's why I'm saying like experientially, yeah, Jesus was in our home and all of that. Um, but, but to speak of him in, in an intimate way and to speak in a way that was like, no, I, I truly know Jesus yeah, yeah. and I truly have the Holy spirit. The Holy spirit is a real being who indwells you, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of lingo and language and explanation of my, my older brother's experience was what really drew me in. It, it actually wasn't the debates. It wasn't, mm-hmm. I didn't go directly to my Bible and try and start fighting things. I just enjoyed listening to uh, Tim tell us how he felt right emotionally where 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 was he and I was drawn to that and 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 so my pride was in the church before but then but then I was like but but wait I, I want what he has mm-hmm. I, I want I want what he's experiencing because I've I've had the church all my life I've heard sermons I, I we went to Catholic schools we had religious studies you know um, but I've never heard somebody speak about Jesus like that yeah and and that that immediately drew me drew me to the faith yeah i think the lang- the language of being born again was really big for me um because it, it it's sometimes it's really hard to put it into words right but why don't you just use Christ's words, right? Like you must be born again, right? And that made a lot of sense to me and and i think that was actually the phrase that gnawed at me and also I, what's really great about evangelicals is that they tell their testimonies yeah yeah and they come up and they'll even ask you they say so what's your testimony and you're like <laughs> you know, if you, if, you, if you don't have one, you know, it kind of makes you weirded out. You're like, well, wait a second. Like these, these people all have like real stories, like where they like, le- like were raging sinners. And now they've like, literally they're living a completely new life. You know, you'd see like alcoholics, yeah. like former alcoholics that were, you know, in the, in these evangelical churches who completely reformed, you know, and are living this, like this kind of life. And you see this enthusiasm for the Bible. They're constantly preaching and teaching well, and, and evangelizing. Yeah. So uh, that gnawed at me. And, and for me, it, it came to a head in high school uh, when I was at a party and I was not sober. <laughs> and, um, That's a good time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it, uh, it hit me because I was talking to this Jewish girl and I was talking, I started talking to her about Jesus <laughs> and, and uh, there was a moment where she, and, and she's listening to me and I was just like, uh, you get what I'm saying, you know? And she like looked at me and she goes, Steven, aren't you, aren't you drunk right now? And I literally, that moment changed my life. Like it really did. I, cause it, it hit me. I was like, 
yeah. Like, wait. <laughs> why am yeah, I talking about Jesus see, right now? <laughs> yeah. See, that was part of it. I don't know why it never clicked, but the morality end of it, like being moral, be, trying to be morally good. Uh, you know, we were we were raised to be good, and we weren't bad kids. We right. were good kids. Uh, but but to have it in the forefront of your mind to to want to grow in holiness, in purity, yeah. in morality. You know, so it's not just the message that evangelicals bring; it's also a life. They do have their testimonies. They do have a change, a change of life that occurs and that's pressed upon you. Um, and again, it's attractive. It's mm-hmm. wow. They, it seems like they are really living for Jesus because they, you can see their life has changed. And so if I'm looking at myself and it has my, my life hasn't changed, I just kind of grew up Catholic. I've been going to church all my life and I've kind of been the same Dan I was when I was younger. Um, and so that was a, a major challenge to, to myself and obviously to Steve. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so then, uh, I, I remembered, uh, my moment was, that I just, I went home and, uh, I was crying. I put my Bible on my bed and I was just looking at it and I was so confused. I felt confused, you know, cause I heard so much stuff about like my, what my dad was saying to Tim, what Tim was saying back to my dad and to me. And, and I was just so like, I can't take it anymore. you know, like, and so I just prayed and I said, God, if you want me to follow you and to know what this book means, just, just please explain it to me. Right. So it was kind of like an opening of the heart, you know, and putting away of pride. I wasn't using this Bible as a sword and a shield and and like a weapon anymore. I was actually going to open my heart and listen. And, um, yeah, I mean, long story short, it, it, uh, it it gave me this born again, more Protestant uh, experience of God that was very exciting. Um, and I, I left, yeah, I left the Catholic church. We, uh, and, and, and Dan shortly thereafter, I don't know if Dan, you want to go into any details on, on your end of your kind of moment. No, I'm not going into any details. No, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. So the, so um, yeah, Steve, I think, I don't how, how uh, much earlier did you, did you leave? Mm, I was, uh, so, so we had this odd situation where we were still going to um, Catholic church because mm-hmm. we were living at home. And, and so our, you know, God bless our parents dealing with, uh, you know, <laughs> teenagers who are, who know, it all. who know it all. And they're, they're leaving, you know, they're leaving the faith and, um, and they're, they're as patient as possible. But, you know, like you, we were saying before there, you know, there were debates, there were fights, there were arguments and it, it got ugly. There was Bible rippings and yeah. you know, all those horrible, yeah. All those horrible things. You know, it, my parents were just didn't, weren't ready for, for this kind of onslaught you know, uh, um, us having our Bible in front of us and going, Oh, here in Romans chapter six, you know, blah, blah, blah. um, you know, um, I could, I could see it turning that around how that must've felt to them uh, yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, we were still going to Catholic church. Um, well, I think for, for me for four, three or four years still while not really even being Catholic. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of this personal spirituality that I was in, because I wasn't allowed to go to any other church um, as long as I was in their house, my parents' house. Um, But there came a time when we decided that uh, together that we were no longer going to go to the Catholic church. Um, And we, we went, I I don't know what, what day it was, but it was in 2009. And um, we went to church with my parents and then, we got up. Why do we, yeah, we, I didn't even know why we went, Steve. Right. We, then we got up and we just left. Um, yeah. Well, it was, and we, we went to a Bible church. Yeah. Yeah. We told them the, the day before that, like, you know, we're not going to go to the Catholic church anymore. And then that was when they said, 
you're going to go, you know, and if you're not there and dress tomorrow, you can, you can pack like, and find a place, yeah. you know, to go. So it was, it was, you know, it was a tough love thing because they had tried the other approach too. Um, so we went, we, yeah, we, we ended up packing our bags that morning when they went to church and then we went to uh, live with our brother, Tim, um, for about six months. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and long story, I mean, our, our oldest brother actually passed away, um, which was what kind of caused like the whole breakdown. Like, cause we weren't talking to our parents at the time. Nobody was talking to each other. And then my brother passed away. And so then that kind of like brought everybody kind of back together to, you know, say, look, we just need to be together right now. Um, so we moved back in with the parents and stuff and we kind of came to our own arrangement, you know, that, um, we would, um, be able to go, you know, where we wanted to go and all that. So, um, I guess that's, yeah, that's, that's where we ended up there. Now, during this time, we're sort of, Dan and I even are starting to debate now about what, well, what kind of Protestantism? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, well, before you get to that though, what I would say is, uh, and Steve kind of alluded to it earlier. um, We never closed our minds off. We we never said, okay, we're leaving Catholicism and we're going to be evangelical Christians. Mm -hmm. Those words never crossed. We we were always open to where it was going to lead us. And we were always willing to say, we just want to know the truth. Yeah. We want to experience the living God and we want to know the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and so us, us going to a Bible church at first, we knew it could just be a, a landing area, right, for now. And, and then the debates start to happen. We, we start to really dig into the scriptures um, and we're going back and forth. You know, <laughs> should we be a liturgical church? Should it not be a liturgical church? You know, yeah. th- those, those uh, types of um, debates, but also just conversations began to happen more and more and more. Yeah. Within six months, I would say of actually attending an evangelical church, I knew that it wasn't for me. Um, it was like the initial thing was great because it was like for the first time you're getting expository preaching, you're bringing your Bible to church. Like you're really in there in the word, you know, and you have fellowship with the believers and all these things. Um, but yeah, after, after about six months, I'd say it kind of wore off on me because, and it really actually wore off on me because Dan and I were becoming a little more sacramental. Like we were, we were just through the Bible. Because so at this time, we're not even sure about the Trinity as much, (laughs) but we are sure that baptism is much more than what they're telling us, like just from the pages of scripture. Right. right? So we were looking at like Church of Christ, like we would attend some Church of Christ things where they really emphasize baptism, you know, Um, all that reformed churches. Um, I was I was very early on gravitating towards Luther. Um, I just thought, well, look, this has to be rooted in something. Yeah, you did. You did like Luther. I, yeah, you, you, you loved. I mean, I, I like to, to give him a read because he's so hilarious to read. But you know, you, but you, but you actually, I mean, you, you really did. Um, yeah, I'm serious. You really did latch on to Luther there, and even were attending Lutheran churches. Yeah, because to me, it, it felt like. Um, it, yeah, to me, it felt like if if anyone like successfully reformed the Catholic Church, it would look something still a little bit like the Catholic church. And I didn't like the whole Luther and Zwingli thing where like, if the Zwingli, like if it's not in the scriptures, it's forbidden. Whereas Luther is like, if it's not forbidden by scriptures explicitly, it's permitted. You know, Mm -hmm. if it doesn't contradict scripture, it's permitted. That's why you can have stained glass windows, you know, like that's why you can have, you know, vestments. That's why you can, you know, so um, Luther just made more sense to me. 
Um, and I, I admired him because of his rhetoric. I was, I've always been drawn to rhetoric. That's why I've always liked like Luther. I love Tertullian. I, I, I studied Tertullian for like my master's and, um, I love St. Augustine. So people who have like a good, t- Oh, uh, John Chrysostom. Like, so I love people with a good tongue, you know? <laughs> so Luther just captivated me in that way. Um, so yeah, I was, I was very much like, um, more in the Lutheran camp. Um, so our whole journey is kind of split up into three experience, experiencing three different things, right? There's the Bible, there's history, the church fathers, and there with like, you know, academia thrown in there. And then there's just the experience of the church. So it's like, you're kind of interfacing between these three things as you're moving along. Um, and I would say at this point, we're moving beyond the mere Bible and we're starting to really read other voices. So we're reading, like I'm reading Luther, like I said, but we're also starting to be like, well, what's with these early church fathers at this time, Dan and I are both in yeah. college. Dan, you want to you know, take it from there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is about, yeah. So 2009, 2010. Yeah. 2010 ish. Um, that's when I started picking up St. Ignatius of Antioch. And because I was going to be writing my master's thesis on St. Ignatius uh, a little bit, uh, he featured prominently in it. And, and again, it's, you know, we were reading in scripture, um, you know, Romans six about baptism or Corinthians 11, 12, 13 on Eucharist. And it just didn't sound evangelical to us. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when I start to pick up the apostolic fathers like St. Ignatius of Antioch, now I'm really not seeing evangelical Christianity. I'm seeing a sacramental liturgical kind of Christianity. Um, and so that really started now to, to challenge me intellectually, right? Mm-hmm. Because, because uh, at first, I was drawn to evangelicalism because I, I wanted that experience of God. I wanted an intimacy with God. I wanted that relationship. Uh, but now it was time for me to learn, like go back to the heady part of it and start to relearn and debate with myself. And uh, the church fathers began to, to take me on that journey. Yeah. <laughs> Dragging, kicking and kicking and screaming at times. And, and the church fathers come on the heels of like we entered into college, like, like interested in history, just Roman civilization, yeah. like prehistory, Greek history, the classics, like we, we were interested in those things. And so, uh, but we were also Christians. So we, we started to get really interested in the interface between uh, early Christianity in the Roman empire. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like what we started to really go all in with. And it was, it was fascinating. Him and I would fight, you know, and debate about, you know, like I'd be like Ignatius is a heretic and, you know, and Dan would be like, well, you can't say that though, because you know, he's a, you know, so we're having, like, we're having like these kinds of debates, you know? Um, and I think it was through that, just writing papers, doing research um, that the two of us started to slowly kind of, you know, sort of become of one mind. Uh, and then, you know, we got accepted into the, 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 the graduate program at Wheaton college. And, um, at that time I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much almost set on becoming Lutheran, um, until in the master's program, I read St. Cyprian of Carthage. Uh, well, we, we both did, but we read, uh, on the unity of the Catholic church and his argument for the episcopate, um, to me, it was just, it was one of the most convicting things I've ever like listened to. And so I was like, okay, I need a Bishop. Yeah. And that's, that's a short version of the story. It's not like I read it and I was like, I need a Bishop now. It was like wrestling with Cyprian wrestling with what St. Augustine's arguments against the Donatists and all this stuff. I was like, man, I mean, the Episcopate seems like something that is just there, like from the beginning. And it seems so central to all of these 
early church writers. So I started to think, well, I don't want to become Catholic or Orthodox because that's idolatry, but (laughs) I need, so I need to be Protestant, but I need to have a Bishop. So you can probably fill in the blank of where I'm going to end up. Right. So I ended up in the Anglican in the Anglican church. There was a really vibrant um, liturgical, but also sort of charismatic. Anglican it was charismatic. It was certainly charismatic, not sort of charismatic. It was charismatic. Yeah. Charismatic yeah. liturgical Anglican church. If you can yes. imagine it. Yes. Um, so I, uh, I plugged in there. Wasn't really that comfortable with the charismatic stuff. I never really was even as an evangelical. I never cared for it. Um, yeah. But I was there for the Eucharist. I was there for the Bishop. I was there for, you know, everything else. Um, and then it became really like digging in with Anglicanism. So Dan, uh, shortly thereafter, um, he found an Anglican church as well out by where he lived in Oak park. Um, and we, uh, we started to wrestle with Anglicanism now, like really going deep. And that to me, like if you're wrestling with Anglican questions, um, you're either going to settle for, kind of a broad church that accepts a lot of different views and you're going to, you're going to, you know, put yourself into like that Caroline divine and like Oxford movement kind of Anglicanism, or you're setting yourself up to become Orthodox or Catholic. <laughs> you really are, you know, uh, especially with given the modern state of the Anglican church and things going on, it just, it, it, it lends itself to considering the historic traditions. Um, so through that experience with Anglicanism, I started to appreciate Catholicism and Orthodoxy as true churches. So what Anglicanism gave to us is called the branch theory, that there is one holy Catholic and apostolic church, but it exists in these kind of three branches. That is the East, the Latin, and the English. That made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, especially uh, because, because especially because Anglicanism posits itself as the church of the early fathers. They, they really do um, uh, believe that they are the, the church of the undivided church. So, you know, the, the church of the first... <laughs> four or five centuries. Um, and that's, and, and the, the best of Anglicans do that. The best of Anglicans say that and, and want to be that. Um, and then they also have this, in, this deep, great intellectual tradition as well, just like Catholicism does. And so, um, uh, Anglicanism was a good time. It was a good read. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as long as you found a good church, it, it was a comfortable place to be, um, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. And so I, I eventually, we moved a little bit South and I found, um, Another, uh, it's called the Reformed Episcopal Church, which is in communion with the Anglican Church in North America, which is where I was before. So I, I switched, I transferred jurisdictions basically to the Reformed Episcopal Church. And this is like, they're praying the Cranmerian like 1662 prayer book. Like it is, it is, you know, really good 17th century Anglicanism you know, <laughs> happening at this place. So I, um, I plugged in there. I got really involved. Um, I was licensed as a reader in the Anglican church, which is a bigger deal than like being a reader, <laughs> a lector in the Catholic church. You, you actually have to vest for this. Um, so I was, I was a licensed reader, became a chalice bearer. And then I, I did actually um, get on the path to Holy order. So I became a postulant for orders. Um, and it was during that time. You would have been um, rubbish. yeah um yeah i so it was during that time that um the anglican questions were starting to really bug me right um i really started to struggle with it it really um i started to get 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 into my mind this idea and it works for me i don't know if it works for everybody else but this is sort of what started to nudge me over the precipice it's Jesus Christ established a church. It's his body, right? 
And therefore, the church is the living experience of Christ's presence on earth. So that means that every single facet of Jesus's personality should be found in the church, in the charisms of the church. So for instance, you know, Jesus was a king. Well, the church up and down the centuries had monarchy, right? It, it proceeds from the church. It's a Christian I- ideal, right? Um, Jesus is a prophet. The church has had prophets, right? Jesus would go out into the wilderness for 40 days as this rugged, you know, ascetic. Well, the church has the monastic tradition, you know, Jesus was a healer. Well, the church sets up hospitals, right? And the, and the church continues to heal people miraculously as well, right? There's miracles. Um, it's also the inventory, as Cardinal Newman says, like we keep an inventory of our heroes and saints. Anglicanism didn't do that. Like you didn't know who was. It's like Calvin is on the calendar and then Luther's and then yep. like MLK is on Martin the calendar. Luther, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like who is our, what's our tradition, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, it's, it's that I started to see that like Henry VIII destroyed the monasteries. You can't take that away. Like, like the lifeblood of the church up and down the centuries was the monastic yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. So Henry VIII got rid of something that was so integral to the life of the church and, and its mission and its expression of the very personality and heart of Jesus. Well, I think that hit us hard and you especially hard, Steve, because one strand through all of these years was actually monasticism. There was always this this draw that was there um, in in both our hearts, and I remember I remember Steve, you going to uh, Saint Procopius, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, Saint Procopius Monastery in Lyle, Illinois, um, just randomly going there. Yeah, while I was an Anglican, just, while I was an Anglican, I would go yeah, to daily mass yeah. at Procopius Monastery yeah, because you loved being around the monks, um, and so I think when when you were seeing um, something so dramatic as getting rid of monasteries within Anglicanism and Anglicanism since has had trouble reestablishing monasticism Mm -hmm. uh, in the, in the life of its church that I think hit, hit home hard. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely bothered me. And, and then also just all of the women's ordination stuff and, and all of that really, really put me over the edge. Now, of course, that's an argument to not be Anglican. It, I don't know if it works for everybody. It worked for me and it's not the only thing, but it's one of the things. Um, so I had before me and I think, you know, everybody at that point will have to look at orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism, you know? So my wife is Greek raised Orthodox. (laughs) So this was a difficult question. (laughs) Um, but yeah, maybe how about Dan, why don't you, I've said enough about me. So why don't you go ahead and say where, (laughs) where you were then when you were coming out of the Anglican experience? So, so my Anglican church, um, was I would just it was just more of an evangelical Anglican church. It was in communion with uh, this. It was the same jurisdiction as Stevens, uh, but just just low church um, Anglican. Um, and I happened to be very much into the who we call the Caroline Divines. Um, so some of the great lowercase C Catholic Anglican theologians of the um, 16th and 17th centuries. Uh, I just love them. You know, people like Jeremy Taylor um, was tops for me, Richard Hooker, um, some of the, some of these greats, uh, Lancelot Andrews. And I, I wanted so much that faith that they had, because to me, they did it. You, you did, you, you did what you, you wanted to do. You wanted to reform Catholicism and there it is. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm but it troubled me that that church didn't exist. 
it troubled me that Lancelot Andrews yeah, church doesn't yeah. exist, that Jeremy Taylor's church doesn't exist. They were their churches and the, their ultimate influence in Anglicanism kind of wanes mm-hmm. and evangelicalism wins out uh, for the most part, uh, pre Oxford mm-hmm. movement and everything. Um, so I knew all along uh, as an Anglican that I would have to confront Newman. Um, I would have to go read John Henry Newman uh, because here was this prominent, if not the most foremost theologian in the Anglican church, more evangelical um, tinged him. And he leaves and he becomes a cardinal of the Catholic church, you know, and he writes his, his own apology as, as to why he left. So I was like, I'm going to have to pick that up. Right. So I did. Um, and it was there where you start to, you're reading Newman and you're like, he's, he's, he lived my life already. (laughs) He's pointing out all the things about Anglicanism that I'm pointing out right now. Right. You know, and, um, and like the inventory, right. You know, he's saying that, what is our tradition? If, if we don't have saints, if we can't canonize anybody Mm -hmm. who, then who are we? And, and so I liked, then you look at Catholicism. It's like, there's all the saints down through history. That's who we are. You know, we're, we are who we are in our, in our best people. Um, and all the way up and down history, they're there. And I can look at it and it's, and the, the, the measuring rod is there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I know what holiness is and how, where I have to go to attain it. Mm-hmm. And I have to go to Catholicism to do it. And so you're, you're seeing all these types of things in Newman. I'm, re- I'm, I'm literally reading this thing because I had begun writing. I just, I sat down, I decided in, um, late 2017, early 2018 to just sit down and just write where, where am I at in the faith? What questions do I have? What doctor, I literally listed what doctrines I have concerns with in Catholicism. And I just started writing. And as I was writing, I was reading and researching and writing and reading and putting my thoughts on paper, you know, 35, 40 pages later, I start to, I then start to read Newman. That's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And I never, I never wrote anything again. Cause I came to him and I stopped and now it's like, okay, I'm in trouble <laughs> because I don't, I don't think I could be Anglican because I'm literally following the same path that Newman was on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that kind of shook me uh, really. Yeah. And there, there was a sense at the time too, that you felt like I could make the greatest argument for Anglican. I still to this day can make a, the greatest argument for why Anglicanism is right. And everyone else is wrong. Right. You can make that argument all day long, just like, Saint, just like Saul was making the argument that Jesus is not the Christ, right? But at the end of the day, he gets knocked off his horse and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, and it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt. It's like Anglicanism. It's part of the Catholic Church. It's, yeah, we have women's ordination, but it's not that big because uh, we have the GAFCON movement. And I know that they have women or women's ordination in Kenya on, of, as part of that, but that's okay. We're going to work and we're going to sort that out. It's like you're constantly just like, you know. You constantly have to reinvent yeah. the wheel. And, and, and yeah. you know. And, and yeah. so it, ju- it just starts to feel like, why is God blessing the Catholic Church? It is the whore of Babylon. <laughs> it has, you know, it's like it has all of these unholy people. It has corruption up and down the centuries. Why does God keep blessing this thing? And it keeps growing, you know. And that's exactly like I'm telling you that, like, like that's it because God's promise rests on this community and not that one. I mean, even the fact that the Pope 
at a time when Anglicanism has no women's ordination, you know, um, the Pope writes and says that Anglican orders are, are null and void. At a time when you would think like, dude, Anglicanism has a good argument for why their, yeah. their orders are valid. Well, in, fa- okay. in fact, Anglican, the archbishop's answer back to the Pope mm-hmm. is a fantastic document, well-argued. You would even look at the two documents and say, well, it looks like the Anglicans won that debate. Yeah, but 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 so basically it's like, yeah, you can you can say like, I don't know if the Pope's argument is that strong, you know. But at the end of the day, what happens literally, you know, generation or two later? Within 40, within 40 years. Anglican orders yeah. become null and void anyway because they start yeah. retaining women, you know? So it's like, it's because the, the promise rests here. Is just, just from my point of view, that's what I was seeing. I was like, just the promise just rests there. And there's, you can't keep fighting against it. You just come to a point where you have to say, this is, this is our mother. Like, this is the church, you know? Um I also, you know, with the tidal wave of culture, you know, that, that is coming at us um, as just in, against Christendom in general, right? You start to feel like we're losing, like Protestant, all the Protestant denominations are dead. The only ones that are thriving are the ones that are constantly reinventing themselves and don't have any stability. So all the stable Protestant traditions are gone. They're the mainline, all, mainline traditions. They're all, the they're all dead. They, they all apostatized in one way or another, right? And so... <laughs> you're like, you're like, how are we going to win this battle? To me, it was like, if the battle is even going to be won, there really is only one place that that could happen. And to me, it, it was the Catholic church. It, and that's not the only reason to become Catholic. I'm just saying that that's just one of the other things that's in the area in your, in your experience as a Christian, you know, trying to discern the spirits. And, and you just see that like Catholicism has everything that it needs not not by accident, right? But it has everything that it, that it possibly needs if it wants to use it to win this mm-hmm. this battle. Orthodoxy, I would argue, doesn't. Mm-hmm. But Catholicism only has what it takes to take on the culture. Um, but that's that's a cultural uh, argument that's a little different than the theo- theological. But yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, eventually, Dan, you found. Well, yeah, it was, yeah. So, it, yeah, yeah. So you had the, you kind of had the liturgical chaos um, in Anglicanism, and and um, it didn't know what it wanted to be. Uh, so Steve and I again, here's the monastic strand running through this whole thing. Um, I saw on the south side of Chicago, there's a Holy Cross monastery, and I saw that they're going to be airing uh, a documentary about them, about the monks and what they do, and um, and so I saw it come up on Facebook or something. Mm-hmm. Facebook is good for something. It came up on there and I said, that's, well, that looks interesting. Um, you know, let's go. So I sent it over to Steve and, and we decided to go to the monastery and watch their, the airing of this documentary. There's all the icons, uh, right? They were revealing the icons. That yeah. Were, yeah. That were yeah, yeah, yeah. by a Russian iconographer. Yeah. Yeah. They had a Russian iconographer um, do their altarpiece. Mm-hmm. Really beautiful. Anyway, so we, we go there um, and then there's a Q and a uh, after the, the airing of the documentary and, you know, Steve and I are kind of asking questions, this and that, and raising our hand, maybe being annoying, I don't know. But, but then after, um, after everything was done, um, a, guy about, a guy my age comes up to us and he says, um, he says, hey, you know, I was interested in what you guys were saying and asking, and uh, would you mind walking over uh, with me to my church? I want to show you it. I'm the master of ceremonies there. So I walk over with him. I think, Steve, you had to go, maybe the kids or something. Um, so I went with him to uh, the church 
Were you there? Yeah, you were, I was there. Were you there, yeah. Steve? Yeah, you were there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You always you try were, to usually out of the picture, man. I don't appreciate it. <laughs> well, you, you didn't go back to visit. So, so, no, yeah. so we, we went. Th- we walked through the church and and um, took a tour. Beautiful, beautiful church. And then he just simply said, "Well, why don't you visit? You know, why don't you come for mass?" He did not know we were Anglican. He, he assumed because we're at a monastery <laughs> listening to monks that we're Catholic. Um, so I, I, that's a good assumption. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, whatever. I'll visit. Um, so then I, so then we did. And I, I took my wife, Victoria. Um, and this was when the, the uh, traditional Latin mass was uh, still allowed here in Chicago. And that was the mass we attended. And it was, it was everything. I, I, Walked in, I just sat there in 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 utter amazement. Uh, you know, tears are coming down my my face, my wife's face. We're looking at each other. Oh yeah, this is this is where we need to be. This is this is where we got to be. Um, and so just from there, I started going a little more and more, and officially, um, you know, came back to the church. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't yet, and so it, I was still angry. yeah, and he, <laughs> yeah, he was he wasn't yet. Uh, but you know, if, if it, you know, you think of evangelizing people, it, it, sometimes it is just a simple invite. Just come on over to church, you know, come and see. And, and uh, so you, you can do all the intellectual stuff. You can spend 15 years in academia, whatever you want to do. Uh, but what did it in the end, what pushed me over the edge was going to a mass, the mass of the, of the ages. Mm. Um, that was it. The experience of the kerygma, of the kerygma of, of Jesus was right in front of me. And I loved every minute of it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. So I was still wrestling with orthodoxy uh, as a possibility. I was meeting with orthodox priests, um, going, I like went out to a, to a bar with an orthodox priest and we talked about, I was like, Steve, no, you gotta be Catholic, man. Come on. <laughs> um, and to be, to be quite honest with you, even to the, almost up to the final moment, I, I, ha- I was almost positive. I was becoming orthodox. Um, and it was actually my wife that started to sense that that wasn't the right thing, believe it or not. And um, well, because she's she grew up Greek Orthodox. She grew I don't up. Know if you Orthodox, mentioned, yeah. yeah. So she, uh, yeah, but she was the one who had the intuition to say, "I." From and of course, from from a very good like motherly and and wife kind of perspective, like it's not good for our family, you know. In the end, like. Um, and there was a sense where she appreciated the Catholicity of the Catholic church. Like you go to a Catholic church, it's not all Greek people. So, you know, it's like, it's, there's, there's, there's white, there's black, there's Asian, there's old, there's young, um, the whole, everybody, it, it, it is the nations like gathered together. Um, so it's not, it doesn't feel like a cultural ghetto in a way, you know, and that's, I'm not saying that's what orthodoxy is. I'm just saying that that's, you know, she's saying, why would we do that? You know, like, um, so that, that didn't convince me, but it at least, of course, in your heart, it, it does something to a husband and a father, right? You're like, okay, I have to consider that, you know? Um, but Dan and Vic, uh, Victoria, they, they, um, invited us to their church and, um, I already knew I wasn't going to be Anglican. Right. So I, I, I go into this church and again, I was just, I was just stunned. It was the English mass, but I was just stunned, um, and I was just sitting there and I didn't want to say anything, I, but I, my wife actually tapped me and she looked and she said, what have we been doing? You know? <laughs> and I, I like, and I immediately felt the same way. It was like, I don't object to anything being said or done here. So why am I not here? This is my mother. 
this this is the this is the womb in which I was born in baptism. Like that's the altar at which I nursed. You know, um, it's time to come home. You know, it's time to come mm-hmm. home to my mother. So um, we did. We got. You know, we had to live as brother and sister uh, for a while, <laughs> and um, had to have our you know, uh, marriage convalidated or whatever. And then, um, and actually was, was really, uh, amazing was that, um, I was, I was sitting there, uh, after our first Holy communion and they started to chant a Psalm and I probably should have grabbed it cause I, I kept the paper, but it basically was a part, it was a part of one of the Psalms where it says that like you went away and you were gone, but I brought you back into the, your, your land, you know? And I was like losing it, man. And then I, so I I was like closing my eyes and I was praying. And what was the weirdest thing was that I, I sensed my brother who died. I sensed him up at the altar and I just saw like, just saw him like with my eyes closed. I just saw him like smiling. And I was like, man, (laughs) that was just like the most powerful experience, like coming back in. So I, yeah, I, uh, I knew it was, the right decision. And then, and then shortly thereafter, Dan and I, um, felt like we have something to say. Um, and so then that was when we started to talk about the possibility of a podcast, um, to, to really bring Catholics through the story of this church, which is the most amazing story. Um, and not, not to be like apologetic. Like I want Protestants and Anglicans and whoever to, even if they are going to stay Protestant and stay Anglican and Orthodox, and if they're going to stay Orthodox, I want them to be a part of that journey to wrestle with it together. Um, yeah, and that's because, kind of our posture. In, well, yeah. And because our podcast really is our intellectual journey. We're, we're like showing, we're broadcasting it to people. <laughs> Like, and that's, so we're going in the first 500 year series that we're doing, we're going century by century and we're, we're literally showing people how we learned the church and, and why we're actually, why it led us to be Catholic. And so it's, it's, I think it's um, good for not just Catholics, but Anglicans, Orthodox, all that, because we, we bring up uh, all the issues that need to be spoken about and there's challenging things. And we like to challenge Catholics on it too. We're not just challenging Orthodox or Anglicans. We challenge Catholics on there right. to perhaps think a little bit differently about the church or from a different pers- have this different perspective. And, and maybe perhaps in the future, you won't be caught off guard by s- certain questions or, or certain events or whatever it may be. And so in that way, we're, I think, hopefully helping people uh, by, by just putting our intellectual journey on a podcast, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's fantastic stuff too, guys. I love your approach. It's it's awesome. There's, <laughs> that's an amazing story, first of all. There's a, tons of awesome things in there to unpack. I want to touch on a, a few things, and there's probably many, many more we could we could touch on. I love that like, the bookends of your, your journey, guys, is it, kind of leaving the Catholic faith because it was missing almost this relational aspect to it, right? That's kind of what kind of drew you out in the first place and seeing your brother experience that. But both of you, in your description of, you know, your first kind of mass experience after, the, like, you know, reading and studying and, and being Anglican and, and digging deeper into that and asking questions, both of you described this really kind of relational experience with the mass, your, your first, <laughs> which I think is really amazing because, mm-hmm. uh, of course, if we probably understand what the, what the mass is, that's relational. A fellow Canadian, now in Chicago, so maybe maybe you know him, Father Joshua Caswell, at St. John Cantius, 
I had him on the show. He was an evangelical convert to Catholicism. Actually, his family were were an evangelical uh, like, like missionaries up in northern Canada on First Nations reserves, and the Catholic Catholic indigenous people there actually evangelized them and converted their whole family to Catholicism. These guys, oh my which is an amazing story, it's an incredible story. But he describes celebrating mass as the most charismatic thing he's done mm. as a charismatic you know background right because and, and i was thinking daniel in your description of uh, your experience of, of you know your wife crying at, at mass and experiencing that that beauty like that is that is the most like charismatic evangelical experience you can have mm. in christianity because right that's christ coming to meet us in like you know in in the eucharist in in his mm. right yeah. What what gets more charismatic and and personal <laughs> and relational th- than that, right? I think of all the songs we would sing as evangelicals, but wanting more of Jesus, and you know th- these these very like kind of tr- uh, transcendent songs about wanting to, to know God more. Well, gosh, like that. What? <laughs> what it can't be any more it than, than partaking yeah. of Him. Yeah. 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 If you really want to, if, yeah. if if you're talking to. Uh, a Protestant charismatic, you can really flex your charismatic uh, muscle and say, well, have you ever called down the Holy Spirit onto some oil? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I guess I, the point you're getting at is, is true. You you can't have relationship without religion. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Liturgy brings the relationship and religion actually isn't a bad buzzword. We, mm-hmm. we learned that religion is the very thing itself. It's, it's likened to like a marriage. You don't, you don't have a relationship with your wife you have a marriage with your wife. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You have, right. <laughs> you have, you have the liturgy, right. You, you mm-hmm. have, you have religion with Jesus. That's, I love, that's the greatest thing that you can have with him is religion with him. Yes. I, I loved that. Um, apart from like James himself saying, you know, what true and undefiled religion is um, and literally using the term. But uh, I think actually that was quite, possibly an influence of Anglicanism too. Um, because Ang- there was a, gosh, I can't remember who the writer was, but he wrote, uh, he's an Anglican divine and he wrote against uh, extempore prayer um, in, in favor of liturgical prayer. And it's like this beautiful argument. Dan, I don't know if you, do you remember it's, who wrote that one? I think it's Jeremy Taylor. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also in the Anglican liturgy, it, it's, it actually mentions that God, um, trains us in true religion and virtue. And so like religion itself, the word is like a, a bad word for evangelicals. But when you're like, again, when you're in like the Anglican liturgical experience, religion is like a good word. Um, religion places context within which you have an experience with Christ that is authentic. And, and Dan and I have actually uh, touched on this in our first 500 year series too, with um, if you watch our three, I think we had three episodes on uh, John and <clears throat> The whole, the whole point there is that, um, and then also in our, our liturgy episode, we're showing that the apostles actually delivered a way of praying and worshiping to the church very um, intentionally. And and the apostle John is the one who, who really like reveals that, that what they're doing is perpetuating the apostolic experience of living with Jesus. Like um, that's what the mass is. The mass is is a way for us today to have this charismatic personal experience with Jesus in the same way that the apostles did. All right. Mm-hmm. So it's like perpetuating apostolic experience, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, so yeah, that's 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 true. Like that's why like sitting in a mass 
is like this this is the this is the um the right parameters within which to have your relationship with Christ because if you don't have these parameters eventually we've said this before but eventually uh you run the risk of making Jesus into the god of your own mind and you're forgiving yourself of your own sins you know and you're you're telling yourself that like oh, I, I felt I feel god telling me I need to move you know to California to be this to take take this job or really is that Jesus or is it just you right so you have those things right that are happening um because again they they protestantism by and large has removed the proper cultic context um for placing your experience of Jesus within it. So, yeah, you, you mentioned Stephen, the, the draw of that, the testimony of the evangelical experience like that, or that kind of, that mm-hmm. was so fascinating to you. And the idea that you can see these changed lives. And of course, as a Catholic, you're baptized as a, as, as a baby. So you, you can't remember that conversion that you had because you didn't have it in that same way. And there's this kind of power loss and that lack of, of testimony that you have. There, there is that draw to that kind of, that that much more personal kind of uh, experience of, of the faith, and I I love that this is it's kind of funny. I don't know <laughs> for you if you can laugh about it, but a lot of things that drew you out of the Catholic faith are the things that so many Protestants the misconceptions they have about Catholicism, right? Mary, the saints, like the <laughs> things the things that, that drew you out were like yeah we've we've heard this before so many times from from <laughs> Protestants who had those misconceptions about about Catholicism and and of course. You begin to read and study about the Catholic faith and the ancient Christian faith, and you see these things are are, are all throughout history. Mm-hmm. Uh, those things drew you out, which is, I think is kind of funny. Why do you think you didn't know answers to those kinds of things? Like, wh- where do you think it? Th- or maybe the question better would be: How can we make sure that as Catholics we have those answers to those really common things? Well, we 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 bought into very early on. We bought into the the paradigm uh, that that um, with Constantine, there was this grand revolution that took place in the church. And that's what you're told initially as a Protestant. And then, and then they, and then they'll teach you the Bible. And so you're like, well, yeah, why wouldn't I want to just be a Bible Christian? I want to be the closest I can be to the apostles and the closest I can be to Jesus. And that's the Bible. Um, So we didn't, we didn't have to care about the, the early church. Right. Until, we saw that there was no broken line right? Mm-hmm. and, and there was no revolution in the second century. There was no revolution in the third, <laughs> not the fourth, not the fifth. Wait a minute. What's happening here? Why, <laughs> where's, yeah. where's the big, where's the big shift that's supposed to be there? Um, so we, you know, I don't want to say we're sold a bag of goods, but you know, um, that's in the popular, uh, I yeah. guess, Protestant mind is that the church, yeah, the church veered off even very early. It veered off. Okay. But if, if we go, we start digging in, we don't see a veer. Where's the veer. <laughs> okay. Then, then now, now you have to question everything. Yeah. And, and I, just a, a quick note here too. And I know Dan agrees with me on this is that studying the first five centuries of the church. Know? Yeah. <laughs> studying the first five centuries of the church is not going to be a slam dunk argument for being Roman Catholic. Okay. Right. Like that's right. not what's going to happen. Um, at the very least what it does, is it brings you to the precipice of having to choose between Orthodoxy and Catholicism. That's what I would say. Um, so you have to go a little bit deeper and a little bit further if you really want to, um, if you want to get Roman Catholicism to win by this much. Okay. <laughs> like it is, it, you know, it is important to, to make that point. Um, but I think the reason why for me, I was easily convinced is just ignorance. Um, 
and I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you, but I'll tell you what, even, I was, for, even for my age, uh, I, I knew more about my faith than the average Catholic my age already, yeah. just because of my formation. My parents were very good about like um, helping us understand that, like, okay, what is Pentecost? What is, you know, Lent? What is Easter? Like we knew what happened at those times and events and everything. Like we, we had a context, right? Um, but even that, like even knowing that much, I still was so ignorant of the Bible. So to have somebody come and say, well, what do you say to that? I mean, proof texting yeah, is very, yeah, yeah. proof texting is extremely powerful. Like when you have Jesus saying like, beware of the tradition of these people, it's the traditions of men. They lengthen their garments, you know, they put up their phylacteries and they make long prayers in the public places. You know, you see the publican, you know, Lord have mercy. I mean, you see this, you know, Pharisee saying, I'm so glad I'm not like this guy. And it just starts to feel like, you know, boy, that sounds like a bunch of Catholics, you know? Um, so proof texting is a very powerful thing for somebody who doesn't know the Bible. And the vast majority of people don't have time to know the Bible that well, right? So mm -hmm. it's very easy in that sense. The other thing I would say that is very detrimental to all Catholics, two things. Number one, we have a crisis of conversion in the church. We have a bunch of people who are culturally Catholic who go to mass, yeah. Yeah. say the prayers to the gods and go home, you know, in, instead of truly having this evangelical experience of Christ and, and having this heartfelt conversion to him. Now, again, we'll put, now that we're Catholic, we put that. It's in not going to be a St. Paul. It doesn't always have to be a St. Paul moment. Exactly. Right? exactly. But, but the progression does need to be, yeah, you know, does yeah, need to be there. Yeah. So we have, we have a, a largely unconverted state of the church in the last, especially in the last two or three generations. And that's the, that's where the crisis starts. Um, because you can teach people the faith and catechize them all you want, but it's just information. It's the moment that you're converted and you're in Christ that you want to know it and you can't stop wanting to know it. That's why Jesus says to the woman at the well, it'll become inside of you a well of living water that will spring up to eternal life. You won't be able to contain it. So what does she do? She runs out and she says, come see this dude who told me everything I've ever done, you know? So there's. This is, this is what the spirit of God does if you open your heart to him. So what we need to be preaching in the church today is not catechesis. We need to be preaching the gospel. <laughs> like we need, we need our people to know the gospel of Christ, what it means that he died for us, you know? Um, so there's that. And then the, the other thing is that there is a very se severe lack in the Roman church today of spiritual fatherhood, of actually having very holy good, humble, gentle priests. And we happen to have one, so we're lucky. <laughs> but there are so few of them, you know, and couple that with some of the silly, you know, some of the silly things that happens with the mass and stuff. You know, it's very, you, you, can, you, you almost, you put all the recipe, you put all the, the ingredients into the pot and you wonder why it doesn't taste good when you're done, you know, but like that's, that's kind of where, you know, that's, that's where you're at and that's where I was. And so I left that Catholicism. Yeah. And I would leave, I'll tell you what, I'd leave it again, right? Like, I don't want anything to do with that kind of Catholicism. Yeah. I want Catholicism, the real thing. And I remember uh, one time we were talking to Tim, our older brother. <laughs> this is funny. So there was one time where we're, we're sitting there and we're talking to him. He's, he's still trying to figure out this whole thing. He doesn't know, you know. But he said, I'll tell you what, though, Steve, if I became Catholic, 
I would become Shiite Catholic. <laughs> I would be like, you know, it's like, he's like, I'd be like, you know, incense everywhere, Latin mass. I'm, I'm taking the whole bite if I'm going to become Catholic. I'm not going to become Catholic light, you know? And I was 100% on board then. Dan, I know you feel the exact same way. Like we were both like, yeah, I'm not becoming cheap Catholic. I'm becoming Catholic Catholic, you know, like all in. Um, so yeah, that's, and that, that's, so that's what I gravitate towards even now as a Roman Catholic. I, I, I try to find the parishes where that is happening. The full, yeah, the fullness, the fullness yeah. of the faith, yeah. you know, supporting the fullness of the faith is very important for, for any Catholic to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing you mentioned before too, Dan, is what in your deconversion, your time in, in Protestantism was that you weren't seeing that kind of discipleship in the Catholic faith. You were, you were, you were the same Dan. You mentioned going to mass every single, every single day, your whole life. Whereas you saw these evangelical Christians say, striving for more, you know, mm-hmm. actually. And that was like, you know, as evangelical, that for us was the whole point and purpose, uh, the large point and purpose of like a worship service, right? It was the sermon. It was the time to, to dig in and learn how to become more like Jesus and then go out and do mm-hmm. that. Like that was the focus of mm-hmm. our Sunday mornings, right? That was that that discipleship was was what our churches were built around. Small groups, mentoring, like yeah. spurring on one another towards being better better Christians. And there was growth and testimonies and actual like witnessed faith. Whereas so often, even still now, right? There, and you, you know, you mentioned this just a, a second ago, Stephen. That that there is that that lack of conversion. People are just going through the motions. They are they're culturally Catholic, but not actually converted day after day to to right. to be in you know be in Christ and be be growing. And that's a crisis. Like that's why people are leaving the Catholic faith and become evangelical and go, oh, I, I was, you know, I'm an ex-Catholic. I was, I was Catholic, but didn't know Jesus. And now I know Jesus and I, and I, I'm a real Christian and I have mm-hmm. this, right? There, there is a, if, if we, if we can work to convert people to understand, to know what's going on in the mass, to experience mm-hmm. the Christ in the Eucharist, to, to really begin to, you know, to, to, to have, to, to hear that, be, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, there's a sense to it that, yeah, there, there's a there's a sense too in which it's like Christianity is a solution to a problem. Like Christianity is God's solution to a problem. So if you go through your your time in in the Catholic Church and you never hear what the problem is, right? Then what is Christianity, right? So we don't hear about what the problem is, but the evangelicals were telling us what it is. It's you. Yeah. Like yeah. you're a sinner. You know, you need to know that um, because otherwise, unless until you realize that. Christianity ain't going to make any sense. So right. we, we have a church that has shied away from telling us that we're sinners and, and, and reminding us of our true nature. Why do you think the confessional box is so empty all the time? Yeah. You know, like if, if we really understood the gravity of our situation, we, we would be rushing to the, the confessional, you know, um, the sacraments would be our safe haven. We would yearn for it, thirst for it, for that holiness from Christ that could only come from Christ. So, you know, we don't, we weren't getting that. It's just that simple. You know, even the, the um, we mentioned in another episode one time um, where we kind of told a similar story where Dan, Dan had mentioned that, you know, our priest growing up, I, you know, I, I don't, I was a kid. I don't know. I'm not going to judge the guy or whatever, but I know he was having a lot of like problems. Like he, he struggled with alcoholism and, and things like that. Um, so that was kind of like what our priest experience was too, you know, like, um, so yearning for holiness wasn't really like, you know, there and, and, and kind of having that kind of preaching that says, you know, you're a sinner from a person who's striving to be holy, you know, seeing that example of a father who's striving to be holy and telling you that you're a sinner and you need Christ. We need that, you know, men yep. need, the young men need that. Yeah. Young men especially need that. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned, uh, Stephen, 
in your experience of of beginning to look at Anglicanism, was the idea of the the monopiscopate or the mon, the monopiscopate? I've ever said both words. I'm not sure which is which is correct, but the idea that that the early church wasn't these disparate kind of groups of believers, but there was an authority structure that looks very Catholic that was established very, very early on. And this, for me, was an experience. You know, when I began to read the Church Fathers, I got a, I got the, the $4 Antinicene collection off, off Amazon for, nice. my, for my Kindle, and I couldn't believe what, four, what $4 got me. It was this <laughs> trillions of pages. That was just the Antinicene Fathers. And I, I began to just read it, and I went, wait a second, like, where is my bishop? Why don't mm-hmm. I have one anymore? And and how can somebody so early on say you need to like, you know you need to cleave to your bishop and that's where you'll find the church? I kind of went, what the? <laughs> this is a family podcast, but you know I really I, I was I was awestruck to read that, and then my the logic becomes well, where did my bishop go? Why did that? Why did that system stop being that system? Mm-hmm. You know you became Anglican to solve that kind of problem, but then realized that that's yeah. not really really tenable. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that that's important, mm-hmm. right? If this mm-hmm. thing existed in the early church, the this, this system that we can see, it looks like Christ and the apostles established from a very early time frame, never mind other things like the Eucharist and the Mass and, and baptism, and these it's, things. <laughs> you know, this is pretty central. Where did it go and, and why did it go away? Right? Well, yeah. that was one of the great, that's one of the great shockers when somebody goes to the church fathers actually is to see. So when you're in Protestantism, they'll talk a lot about the spiritual church, right? You don't really know who's really in the church. You don't know what the church is. The, 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 the fleshliness and the tangibleness of the church, according to the church fathers is a shock to you. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is quite unique for the history of any religion to be that structured that early and to be that in communication with one another that early. Yeah. I mean, Christianity started a whole new genre of letter writing and martyrologies and all of this is being shared across the empire, right? Mm -hmm. No other religion is doing that in the ancient world. It is only Christianity. It's unique to Christianity. Mm -hmm. So the tangibleness, the connectiveness of the early church is a shocker if you're first mm-hmm. coming to it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, that the, the, the question of the bishop also ties to the cult, like the cult of the church. I, I always come back to the cult. It's something that like it preoccupies my thinking completely. And I'll just confess that even maybe even to a fault. I have, I probably have people out there who are Protestants who listen to us who just can't stand me because I keep bringing <laughs> it up. But um, Jesus is the high priest of a cult that he established with his apostles who then delivered that cult to the early Christians who then perpetuated it and built upon it as St. Paul said that they would, right? Protestant Christianity, one of the great signifiers that they implemented a new cult, a 16th century cult is removing bishops. Because for the early church, it's you. Yes, exactly. Like Cyprian calls him the high priest, you know, um, you remove the priests. So why did Christianity have priests all this time? But all of a sudden in the 16th century, you realize that, oh, wait, presbyter means old man. <laughs> you know, um, taking, you know, that's the worst etymology in the world, by the way. I mean, taking, taking a word at its literal sense instead of uh, the meaning that people are ascribing to it when they use it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you, you supplanted Jesus's cult 
putting it in those terms is is terrifying. <laughs> well, you, because because it has ramifications for culture. Yes, and 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 you look back when did when did Christendom break down? Well, it started breaking down with the Reformation, because yeah. you broke the cult, you broke the priesthood, and when you the priesthood is the lifeblood of culture, yes. and when you break the priesthood. Culture is going to follow after it, and this is where we are. Post, what are we now? Post, postmodern, or I don't, I don't know where we are. We're in no man's Something land, like man. That. <laughs> that's, but that's why we're in no man's land because the priests were taken away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the slippery slope of like once you take away the priesthood, um, you actually what you do is you um, you threaten um, the identity of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Um, because then the question is like, well, why can't females be priests? Like if priests are basically just like glorified, like rabbis, like just teachers, well, women can teach. Why not? Right. Like, so that's why we have this controversy. Right. And so then, then you're on the slippery slope of, um, well, why can't a woman be a husband and a, a man be a, a wife? Why can't, you know, a man be a woman, a woman be a man. It, it all, I really would argue that we are at the very bottom. I would say we're even in the Valley um, that started all the way up at the top of the slope at the Protestant Reformation. That this is just where it leads because you you dared to exalt yourself over the Mel- the Mel- Melchizedekian high priest himself. That this this is his cult, and these are his priests, and you have no right to change the cult in such a dramatic fashion because it's not ours, right? So yeah, I, I think. I think that's one thing that I keep coming back to with Protestantism even today is just saying like they they keep saying that we have the tradition of men and yet I can't think of a single man to point to that is the originator of our tradition except the apostles and Christ and Christ himself but their traditions I can point to where they come from. It's the 16th century. I know that's kind of like one of those like you know back pocket like basic arguments, but sometimes those basic arguments if you you know, they're throwaway at first, but if you really just take, you know, p- take them back out of the trash can and really put them for their face and say, no, but think about that. You're calling this a tradition of men, but, but I can literally put a name to your tradition. Like, isn't that a tradition of men? Like, you know, that, that's like, that's quite a change that takes place in the 16th century, quite a transfer of the cult. Right. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where, uh, where I'm currently at. And that's, I think what the, what the getting rid of the Episcopate also signifies. Yeah. And I can recall reading St. Francis of DeSales, right? Right. Writing in the counter-reformation to the reformers saying, well, who gave you the authority to hang your shingle there and start that new church there? Like, where does that authority come from? And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, well, of course, nice. because, right. Cause, cause all down through the ages, since the beginning of the apostles, right. Of course there was the Orthodox schism and there have been different schisms, smaller schisms mm-hmm. along the way. Right. But, there was always some claim to authority, like, oh, well, this this bishop here, this this is my, my succession. But suddenly the reformers just break out kind of on their own, really in, in full knowledge that yeah, we're doing we're doing a new thing here. Like Luther was was breaking from that tradition. Mm-hmm. And the response is, well, who gave you that authority? Like are we are we really going to and, right? And then you you you're you're right, Stephen, is this kind of back pocket kind of but then Look, if you're a Protestant, you have to ask that question and then trace your lineage. Like, are you really so sure that Luther was right to break from this, right? Like, St. Francis of the Sale, that's got a good point there. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, and are you willing mm-hmm. to stake your, your, to trust that Luther was okay to break from that, knowing mm-hmm. that there was here, no but, authority to do that, right? Like, and, yeah. and here's the other thing, that, yeah, it's exactly right. And, and here's the other thing that goes along with that, and, and, and it kind of goes back to what Steve said, too. Um, that why does God keep blessing this right. church? Why does God keep it? Because you had the Reformation. Yeah. 
But then the church has the counter reformation and produces another dozen (laughs) saints right out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden Roman Catholicism is, is, is popping up all over Southeast Asia and Japan and like, and it just blossoms elsewhere. It's so, you know, it's like, the question is Luther, what did you really have to leave? Because St. Teresa of Avila didn't have to leave. Mm-hmm. St. John of the Cross didn't have to leave. Mm-hmm. Xavier didn't have to leave. You know, and, and so these great saints grow up just out of the Reformation itself. Mm-hmm. And then the church does reform itself. And, and then you see the fruit of that work. It's like... Yeah. Yeah, God Lu- keeps blessing these Roman Catholics. Right. L- Luther, <laughs> Luther, is the, um, Luther is the classic example of um, the the cure is worse than the original problem. Um, it's like, it's like a man has a cold, you diagnose it and you're like, we got to amputate. You know, it's like he was, he was, he was, he had a lot of insights. Yeah. That's the, that's the saddest. That's the tragedy of Luther is that, you know, 1517 to what is it? 1520 Luther is you know, great. I mean, he's, he's making a lot of good points, guys, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's, it, yeah, exactly. except for the, you know, his, his preoccupations with justification specifically. Um, but all of his, you know, saying like, what's going on in the church? I'm with him. You know, I'm listening to him. I'm like, yeah, yeah. The church was really bad. Like it was really corrupt, you know? Um, but again, it, it becomes like, well, then what's the solution to that problem? You know, um, if Luther, here's, here's what I say. If Luther came to the Catholic Church today, right, like um, where there's Catholic study Bibles in everybody's hands, there's, you know, there's not like these crude buying and selling of indulgences happening. Um, All the things that really cheesed him off, I don't think he would have left the church. I really don't. I think his theology would have been affected by the fact that this stuff isn't it's not ticking him off. Right. Because just knowing, just knowing Luther's personality by what I read of him, I just, it just seems to me that what really threw him on the theological trajectory of going away from the church was his experience of its corruption. Yeah. It just, it really, that's why I'm saying that conversion experiences are, are they're either really great or really dangerous. Um, but there is this sense of the text, the history and experience, you know, and I think Luther's experience really colored his views of the texts and then, yeah it went that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's well said. I don't know what anything else you want to say before we close this off guys to, to the, 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 the listener. And I literally know, I know groups of brothers who have converted like you and maybe one in that group is still holding out. So maybe speak directly to him if you can. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but really, the, 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 those people who are earnestly seeking after where Jesus is and where his church is looking for that evangelical experience, looking for that personal experience, looking for that, that experience that's, that's rooted in history. Uh, you know, I, I can think of so many uh, discussions that I have in this show with Anglicans who have held that branch theory and that and that doesn't last too, too long before they become Catholic. But there's still holdouts out there who are, I mean, I know Anglican priests who listen to this show who are struggling with, gosh, I think I have to become Catholic, uh, holding this out. What would you maybe want to say in closing to somebody who is, who's on the fence or, or who sees the corruption sometimes in the church that still exists, the struggles that we have, like the mass chaos sometimes happening in, in the church. What do you guys want to say? Words of wisdom to somebody listening who's, who's on the fence? You have to be wise to impart wisdom, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, Daniel, go ahead. Uh, yes. oh, I think you're right. I did open with that. Shoot. Now I'm on the spot. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, um, 
I don't think words of wisdom do it for those types of people. Sure. Mm-hmm. sure. I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, like I said, we, we could study our, you know, our butts off uh, all day long, but if I wasn't invited to come to mass right, yeah. and uh, it, it, things would have been different, I'd tell you that. Mm. Um, so I guess that's what I would do. <laughs> I would invite him to mass. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. I would probably just go back to um, Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus, just saying it's hard for you to kick against the goats. And I also think that sometimes it becomes a poison, um, especially libel and Anglicanism, because it is so intellectual that um, your faith becomes only that. And I would say, I would say maybe table some of the theological preoccupations for a moment and actually try to be holy. Yeah. So we, Steve and I were talking about this earlier today. We, um, we remember a lot from our evangelical days. We remember a lot from our Anglican days, but even just thinking back a few years in our Roman Catholic days now, we don't remember a lot of the movements, the, 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 the things that made us grow or, and it's like, you know why that is? Because we stopped wrestling. <laughs> you know, we, we stopped having to struggle for our faith because we know the church is there for us to catch us. Mm-hmm. We know that the intellectual tradition is there if we want to grasp it. We don't have to, but it's there. You want philosophy? Go read Thomas Aquinas. You know what I mean? And, and you're just able to just relax oh, and enjoy and Jesus. Him. And that's what it is. I mean, honestly, you just trust in Jesus. And that to us... I'm telling you, the weight yeah. is gone. We, we lived in a constant state of debate when we were Protestants, constant. Whether we were debating ourselves, other Protestants, or Roman Catholics or Orthodox, whatever it was. With Catholicism, it just speaks for itself. It just is. Mm-hmm. And we can rest in that. <laughs> I almost feel stupid sometimes when I get into debate still because I this this volume exists. I honestly do, man. There's so many times where I'm just like, this person's talking to me online like like this. It'll be like an Anglican priest or a, or a Protestant I'm friends with or something, and they're, you know, we're having a good back and forth. I, I get to a point where I'm just like, honestly, if you would just pick up this volume <laughs> and, and read it, right? Like, it honestly would would answer a lot of the questions. I mean, like, and you either agree with it or you don't. It, that's really all that there is to it at the end of the day. Um, the Catholic Church doesn't need another church in order for it to exist. But I feel like Anglicanism and Protestantism needs the Catholic. As much as they hate it, they need it. They need Catholicism to exist in order for them to exist because theirs is a theology of negation. It's a theology of like, like you can't be saved by works. You're saved by grace. See, they start with the premise of you can't be saved by works, therefore, um, assuming that that's what Catholicism teaches. So, so Catholicism is this eternal foil against which they can they can make their arguments. But imagine if the Catholic Church just poof tomorrow, just completely disappeared. What would Christianity be? Yeah. It would literally be a series of Gnostic sectarian schools. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it literally would. It, so Jesus came to establish a lot of sectarian schools to save the world. <laughs> you know, it, it, to me, it just, it, it just, right. it just seems completely in, 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 incredulous, but you have to, again, you can't think your way necessarily yeah. into that. You, you yeah. do have to pray and experience your way into it as yeah, well. That's an awesome point. And, and Daniel, you touched on something that I think honestly, since 2014, I've been trying to describe uh, and failing and trying again. It, it is that just, and, and honestly, so many converts 
or I guess reverts in your case, sense this, this feeling of, I can relax, right? I mean, the Catholic Church is what it is. It doesn't care you think, right? <laughs> so you can either be Catholic or not, agree or, or, or yeah. not. Yeah. You, don't, you don't have to wrestle it out. It's, it's there mm-hmm. whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, right? So many people I've talked to on this show have said, you know, I, I converted. I didn't quite know what to think of Mary or this or this, but I knew enough to trust the church was what it says what it is. I became Catholic Knowing mm-hmm. that the church, what what the church said on these things made sense and was right, because I recognized the, the authority claim that the church had. Right, you don't have yeah. to constantly wrestle wrestle out what you believe against other people and what they believe, and decide who's right based right. on who you're reading, what theologians you're kind of clinging to. And not that there's not d- discussion and diversion and and differences in the Catholic Church. There there is yeah. all of that, and there and you can wrestle these things out, right? But there is there is a a, a court of last appeal there's a magisterium there's the tradition of, of the church right there's that beautiful weight of the faith to, to relax into and that is like you put mm-hmm. it so well that is such a relief for a person who spent their whole entire faith life trying to wrestle these things out and and hope that they're on the right side of of things right that's a huge yeah. it can't be overstated i don't think that that experience of of resting in in the catholic faith like that right mm, right yep yeah, yeah, for sure. Well put. <laughs> and I think that experience, and then Stephen, the, uh, read the catechism, coupling those two things, I think there's so many people who are thirsting after Christ in in the Anglican Church, uh, you know, Protestants, Evangelicals, uh, people who are leaving the mainline churches because they, what, what the collapse that they're seeing in those mainline denominations, right, who I think are primed to find the Catholic faith, right, the the, the rigor of the uh, of the catechism, Right, the beauty of the the logic of the faith, or how it all fits together mm-hmm. in one kind of seamless whole, and yeah. that done with the wrestling bit. Like, <laughs> right yeah, the and it, there's this great um, there's this great movie uh, called The Bells of St. Mary's, and um, in that movie, there's this moment where uh, this young girl who has like a broken family and stuff, she just can't take it anymore, and she goes to one of the sisters and she says. I want to be a nun. I just want to be a nun like you. And she says, you don't become a nun because you've lost something. You become a nun because you've found something, right? <laughs> Not be, you don't become a nun because you're running away, you know? Um, I would say the same thing here, though, too. Like, be careful uh, for the Protestant who sees the stink, I guess, in his own denomination and sees the Catholic Church as the shining city on a hill that he's going to jump into um, because he's running away from something. You don't you don't come to Catholicism because you're running away from that. You come to it because you're running to something that you found. And um, because there's plenty of stink inside the church, too. You know, I mean, even Pope, no, no, no less than Pope Benedict himself said there's so much filth yeah. in the church, you know. So just just knowing, too, that, like, it goes much deeper than running away from something. You have to really know mm-hmm. what, you, what you're ready to embrace as well, you know. Yeah, that, that's well said, guys. That's well said. Well, you know what? This has been awesome. Uh, this was, this was as I expected and hoped it would be, a fantastic conversation, guys. <laughs> we did. not disappoint. Yes. <laughs> oh, the, the Catholic Brothers, aptly named, is your podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, I'll put links to that in the show notes. Anyone else you want to point people towards? Any, anything else they, they should be checking out? You guys are, you guys are doing or places you guys have been or, or, or will be? I don't know. 
Yeah. Now soon uh, we are actually in, in, in the mode of setting up um, our website and there's going to be some posting there. Um, we're going to have opportunity for a subscription for some more exclusive content and all of that. But for now, yeah, just um, so stay tuned for that. But for now, you know, just our YouTube and, and wherever you get your podcasts, the Catholic brothers. That's fantastic. Well, guys, uh, Daniel, Stephen, thanks so much for being here this week. It's it's awesome to have you. Uh, I want to say God bless the work you guys are doing for the church. It's phenomenal stuff. It's an awesome perspective. It's very fresh, refreshing. It's, it's deep. I love it. I hope that listeners will will find it and and devour it as well. And uh, God bless you guys. And uh, thanks thanks for this. This was a riot. Yep. Thank you. Thanks God for bless you. Us, Thank man. you. Thank you so much. Friends, that was fantastic. I hope that you loved that. I really did. Uh, I, I, harassment would be the wrong word, but uh, forcefully, uh, cordially continued to ask over and over again of <laughs> Stephen to come on the show because I love the work that they do. They agreed early on, and then finding a time to make it happen was, was a challenge. But we made it happen this week, and I hopefully you loved that discussion. Those, these guys... Dan and Steve are, are fantastic guys. It's an awesome work they're doing uh, through the Catholic Brothers podcast and YouTube channel. Hopefully you check them out and love what they're doing and hopefully you love this discussion. Let me know. Reach out on social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Cordial Catholic. We're on Facebook at The Cordial Catholic. Send me an email to cordialcatholic at gmail.com and our website is thecordialcatholic.com for show notes for my blog and things that we're doing and happening uh, are all over there. If you want to support this show uh, financially, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic for a one-time donation. This isn't my full-time job, so your support helps me to be able to do this thing week after week and I have to quit and get a part-time job instead. So thank you, friends, for your financial support of the show. And please do pray for me as well. I am praying for you too, you listeners, each and every week. So thank you for being a part of this uh, amazing thing that we're doing here, this exchange of ideas, uh, this mutual community of, uh, of awesome uh, thinking and, and digging deeper and, and sharing these amazing Catholic experiences and journeys. So thank you for being a part of that, guys. Uh, seriously, take care. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.